Well, good morning, Emmaus. My name is Owen, and I'm the pastor here, and I am so thankful that we have the opportunity to worship together this morning. If you would, take your Bible and open to Colossians chapter 1. We are continuing our study that's going to take us through the, the entire summer in the book of Colossians. Remember, we talked about last week that when you get into those letters in the New Testament, you start to try to find your way through there. You have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, G-E-P-C, go eat pork chops. Remember? Yeah, that's how you find your way through there. You know the theology of those books. You know the ordering of those books. You jump in there. Uh, We are looking at Colossians to see how does God's word speak into our lives, into our church. Students, I think this morning as you prepare to go to Falls Creek, what we're going to talk about in relation to the text this morning is such an important theme as you prepare to go to camp. I'll give you a couple of things to prepare you for the time of studying God's Word this morning. First is, if you'd like to follow along with the notes, there's some notes there on the back of the bulletin. If you've got a copy coming in, you can kind of see how we've laid out the next few weeks, where we're going uh, with this series of messages. We're not going in quite a sequential order in Colossians 1, but we have an overall uh, picture of what we're trying to do and some notes there. Also, to let you know, when we get to the end of the sermon today, the time of response, sometimes we'll have a call forward invitation, we'll open that up. The time of response today is going to be more of an introspective time for you to go before the Lord right where you are and to pray about what is the next step I need to take in my life? What does that look like? That card that Jaron mentioned earlier, that prayer card that's in the seat back in front of you, your step today might just be filling out some information on that card about taking another step in your faith or you're curious about the things of Jesus. You're, you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to know more about what that looks like. You're going to have a chance to put that card in the offering plate at the end when we watch the Vacation Bible School video. So I just want you to prepare your heart for that time and ask the Lord to speak through his word. Colossians chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, here's what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. 
He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then in verse 15, that section that we looked at last week, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's pray for just a moment before we come into this time. Father, I pray that as we come together to consider these words from Scripture, God, that our hearts would be open. Whether we're in here as someone curious about the things of Christ, whether we're someone who has read this passage hundreds of times. God, I pray that in a world that moves so fast and lives that are so busy, that we would just slow down. God, we would slow down our hearts, we'd slow down our minds, we would focus on the things of you. And God, as we study these scriptures together, that you would transform our lives from the inside out. God, that you would do in and through us what only you can do. And Father, we pray that this time would be honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, right after Amanda and I got married, we moved down to New Orleans in early 2005. We came back the summer of 2005. This is just before we went through Hurricane Katrina and ended up back here in Oklahoma through the province of God and was connected with some some folks here in, in Oklahoma coming back home, but it was summer of 2005. We had come back to Oklahoma because it was that season in life where you're in everybody's wedding. Uh, You go through those awkward times in life that you attend a bunch of weddings that aren't yours, and so that was that time for us. Summer of 2005, we came back to be a part of a wedding here in Oklahoma City, and an early season hurricane was coming through the Gulf of Mexico, and it had canceled a class at the seminary that we were supposed to go back to. So we had a time in life, no kids, no job to go back to, no class to go back to. We're here in Oklahoma City. We're supposed to be heading back to New Orleans. And my wife says, and what made perfect sense to her at the time, how about we go to the Grand Canyon? Okay, so that right there tells you all you need to know about the difference between me and my wife. Uh, I was thinking, hey, we'll go back to New Orleans, we'll read, we'll hang out. No, 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 she wanted to go to the Grand Canyon, uh, which is 24 hours in the wrong direction uh, from, from New Orleans, but we didn't have kids, we didn't know any better, so we grabbed a tent and we drove west, a long way west, through the middle of the night, through the next day, and we got to the Grand Canyon and you drive up and you go through this windy road past people selling things to you on the way to get there and you come around the bend 
And there it is, one of the great wonders of the world, this beautiful, beautiful place. And so we're there, and we're looking around, and an hour goes by, and we're still there, and we're, we're looking around. And, and then something hits me that to this day I'm still not proud of. I'm like, what's next? <laughs> it's, it's a hole in the ground, a really big hole right, right there, a beautiful hole a really big hole, I felt unpatriotic, I felt un-American, I felt so bad, but we just had this feeling about an hour and a half in, man, we've got two days in front of us here, and uh, what are we going to do? It's just a big, beautiful hole. Now, if we would have gone down to the bottom, probably, it would have been a whole other experience, or if we'd have done some other things, but we were just there, and we saw it, and we, we were ready to move on to whatever was next. Here's my concern when we think about church. And Christianity. I think a lot of people treat Jesus the way we treated the Grand Canyon at that moment. You see something magnificent. You see something powerful. You see something awe-inspiring. And then at some point it's, okay, what's next? That was nice. You know, that was good. That seemed important, seemed powerful. But then you just want to kind of move on. Here's the danger of church camp. We know how this works. You go, you have this powerful experience of, of worship, and then someone comes back, and they're like, oh, that, that seemed important, that seemed nice, and you move on to what's next. What I want you to hear and what I want you to know is that worship of Christ is meant to be life-transforming. When we count, like we did last week, when we count Jesus as superior over all else, that he is superior over all creation, that he is superior over all spiritual powers, and when we say that he is sufficient, meaning he alone can save and he saves fully, we don't come to him and then need something else, when we worship him in that way, that is meant to transform every area of our lives. Because the one who reigns over all creation must also reign over every part of our lives. There's no coming to Jesus and worshiping him and counting him as superior and then just going on with life. Worship is always meant to be transformative. When we see him, when we look up, we use those words here to Emmaus, up, in, and out. When we look up toward Jesus and we count him as worthy of our worship, the result of that is it should change us from the inside out. Because remember what's happening here in the book of Colossians. One of the things that Paul is having to battle against with this church is they've come to Jesus, they've encountered this message about Jesus, and now they're being encouraged to go on to something else. It was good that you encountered Jesus, nothing wrong with that, but he's not superior, he's not sufficient. You come to him, and then there's still other spiritual power that you need to seek out beyond him. And Paul is saying, no, 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 when you come to Jesus and see all that he is, that he is God with us, that he is superior and sufficient to save, when you see all those things, when you worship him, you don't just do that and then move on with your life. You do that, and it transforms you from the inside out. What I want us to do this morning is this. I want us to look at verses 9 through 14 in Colossians 1. We're going to look at 9 through 14. We're going to kind of go in reverse a little bit. We're going in an odd order in Colossians. I want us to look at those passages and see the pattern of transformation 
that the gospel should bring in our lives, okay? So we're gonna establish that pattern of transformation, how God works in us. Then I want us to look at a passage of scripture that helps us to understand this better, and then we're gonna wrap up by looking at what does this mean for our church, what does this mean for our lives? So let's establish here, and on your notes there's four points uh, that kind of lay out that pattern of transformation that God rescues, that the church prays, that God fills, that the Christian produces. I want to walk you through that, but we're going to start in verse 13 if we could. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The first things that we have to understand about the transformation, the change that God wants to work in our lives is it begins with God's rescue, with God's salvation. Now, interestingly there, Paul says us, not you. He says that he has rescued us. Up to this point in Colossians, he's been saying you, 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 you. He's been writing to them. But when he gets to this point of God's rescue, he purposefully inserts himself into the story. He says, this, is, this had to happen to me as well. None of us, none of us stands outside the need for God's salvation. None of us stands outside the need for God's rescue. It's something that needs to happen to every one of us. This week when we were sharing the gospel with the kids at Vacation Bible School, one of the things we emphasized was this idea that God rescues us But the most difficult thing sometimes is to get to the point of realizing that I need to be rescued. The thing that makes Christianity, the thing that makes Jesus seem so irrelevant to a lot of people is because they hear about Jesus described as a savior and a rescuer, but they see no need to be rescued. Why would I need a rescuer? Why would I need a savior when I don't need to be rescued from anything? And so before we see this idea that we need to be rescued, we have to ask, what are we rescued from? Well, it says that we're rescued from darkness in this passage. Darkness throughout the scripture is generally associated with two things, sin and death. Now, it's broader than that. It's more nuanced than that. There's other things going on. But when we think about the passages of scripture and the stories of scripture, when we talk about darkness, we're talking about sin and the power that comes when we live our lives opposed to God, and death, the wages of sin is death. Death is ultimate darkness in scripture. And so every one of us, apart from God, is enslaved to the power of sin and enslaved to the fear of death. We can't escape those on our own. Those are the two things that we cannot deal with on our own power, and so we need to be rescued from that. The great thing about this is the idea of rescue goes throughout scripture. You go back to the book of Exodus and that story of God bringing his people out of Egypt, that is the ultimate rescue that shapes the way we read the rest of scripture. And God rescues his people out of Egypt and then he establishes for them, this is what it looks like to live as my people. Then God's people go into something called exile, and they're under the captivity of these foreign powers. And once again, God rescues his people out of exile, and he brings them back to his land, and he says, this is how you're to live. You get to the stories of the New Testament, 
Jesus talks about this idea of praying to God for deliverance from the evil one. If you grew up in a church where you recited the Lord's Prayer week after week, that idea that we are delivered from evil or we delivered from the evil one, you get to the book, uh, you get to the New Testament letters. In Ephesians chapter 5, I believe it is, verse 8, Paul says, At one time you were in darkness, or you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To understand what we're going to talk about this morning, we have to realize that we have been rescued out of darkness. But it's not just rescued out of darkness, it's rescued out of darkness and then transferred into the kingdom of God's Son. 1 Peter 2 there says, we've been called out of darkness and brought into light. So God doesn't just rescue his people as if he pulls us out of something bad. When he rescues us, the purpose of that is that then We are transferred into light. We are transferred into the kingdom of God. You may have had the experience in your job where you were transferred from one place that was a toxic work experience. It was a bad office with a bad boss, a bad situation. You're transferred to another location and you get there and the environment's completely different. And there's this weight that's taken off your shoulder because you think, Oh, I didn't know that all workplaces weren't toxic like the one I came from. Or maybe you transferred from one school to the other. The school was bad, the relationships were bad, everything was bad. You transferred to another situation, and now everything seems different. God transfers us from the kingdom of darkness, and he transfers us into the kingdom of his son. But here's the thing. That transfer that God does at the moment of salvation doesn't immediately change our circumstances usually. It's a transfer that happens. It's a rescue that happens where we're taken out of darkness and brought into light. But oftentimes, you know what? You find yourself living in the same location. You find yourself working in the same job. You find yourself at the same school. You find yourself with the same people, but you have been rescued out of darkness, out of the power of sin and death, and you have been transferred into this new kingdom. And this new kingdom, what you have to do is you have to learn to live in a new way. And this is where I think, I'm not convinced of this, but pretty close. This is where I think Christianity falls apart for most people or stops to make sense. We can see this idea of salvation. We can see this idea that I've been rescued. And we say, oh, that's really good. That's good news. But we miss the fact that when God rescues us, he rescues us for the purpose of transferring us into a new kingdom where we have a new Lord, a new ruler, a new purpose. And what we have to do is we have to learn to live in a new way. We have to learn to live in the light. And that's what we spend our entire lives doing as Christians. We had a conversation with one of our kids this week at Vacation Bible School talking about the gospel And in their minds, in their little kid mind, they had done what a lot of adults do. They had separated being saved from being a Christian. So in this little kid's mind, as we were were talking with them, they had to fill out a card that says, am I a Christian? And they checked no. 
And so we asked them, why'd you check no? I thought you had been saved. And they said, yeah, I've been saved, but I'm not living as a Christian. Well, how many adults would check the same box where they say, okay, I understand this idea of, of salvation, that I've been saved, but I wouldn't really count myself as someone who is living as a Christian. That division is what trips us up so often because we miss that when God rescues us, when he saves us, he does that in order to transfer us into a new way of living, which is to live as a follower of Jesus. How does this happen? Look back in Colossians 1. This is what I want to show us. How does this happen? How do we learn to live in the light? Look back in verse 9. Back in verse 9 of Colossians 1. For this reason also, also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. In fact, back in verse 3 and 4, Paul could say, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul, when he hears that the Colossians have become followers of Jesus, he begins to pray for them even more earnestly than he would have before. Many times we pray for someone to become a follower of Jesus. We pray that they'll become a Christian. You might be here this morning and you're in the awkward situation of you're like, I know people are praying for me that I'll become a Christian. This feels weird that you're talking about my situation. But we pray for someone that they'll become a follower of Jesus. They become a follower of Jesus. And you know what we're sometimes tempted to do? Stop praying for them. Oh, we got them to the point of being a follower of Jesus. We prayed that that would happen. We knew that could only happen by God's power. They came to the point of becoming a Christian, and yay, you'll do great. No, the battle just began. Like, it just got started at that point. They need you to pray for them at that point just as much as they needed you to pray for them before they were a follower of Jesus. Because their need... For Christ didn't stop after they gave their life to Christ. Their need for Christ just began at that point as they find out what does it mean to live in this new kingdom? You tell me I live in the kingdom of light. You're telling me I live in the kingdom of Jesus. I don't even understand what that means. I'm just trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian. They need the body of Christ to come around them. And so Paul at this point is saying, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray that God will continue to work in your life, what specifically does he pray for them? Look down in verse 10. Actually, actually, middle of verse nine. Middle of verse nine, he says, we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The first thing that Paul prays for here is that the people would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Very simply, that they would know how to live for the Lord, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit so that they would know how to live. God's will here means not just what job do I take, what person do I date, where do I live. Don't, don't, we take that phrase in the New Testament, God's will, and we apply it to those couple of decisions. God's will is meant to shape every decision we make in our lives. It's having spiritual discernment to know how to live the life that God has called you to live. How can you do that? Well, the only way you can do that is through wisdom and spiritual understanding. Colossians 2 says that you would be able to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let me give you a little background to make sense of those verses. 
We're going to talk more next week about the man named Epaphras who brought the story of Jesus to the Colossians. One of the things that the false teachers were doing in Colossae is they were saying, Epaphras brought you the message about Jesus, but he didn't tell you everything there is to know. Like there's extra secrets and mysteries that Epaphras didn't tell you, and you need to move beyond the things of Christ and find these extra mysteries and powers and secrets that are out there. What Paul is reestablishing for them is the only mystery you need to know is Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. That's it. If you have that, Epaphras hasn't held out on you. One warning for you, and I want to be careful in the way I say this, but if you're a part of a spiritual group or, or you're in a situation and the spiritual leader keeps holding out extra information or mysteries or secrets that you have to move a little further along to get, make that a major red flag uh, in, that, in that situation because all of God's power, all of God's goodness has been revealed in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing secret, extra, hidden beyond Christ that's out there. Now what we do is we grow into the fullness of understanding all that God has done in our lives through Christ. And that takes a lifetime to do. But there's nothing beyond Christ that provides spiritual power that he's not able to provide. And so Paul is praying that they would be filled with this knowledge. For what purpose? Now we get to verse 10. For what purpose that they would be filled? So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. In other words, don't be filled with the knowledge just for the sake of the knowledge. You're filled with the knowledge of God's will so that you'll live it out. Uh, The Great Commission, go and teach them to obey, not just teach them. Okay, so verse 10 there, you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. What does that look like? Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Now we're going to come back and look at those verses in in coming weeks, but I like this quote from Wright up here. Understanding will fuel holiness Holiness will deepen understanding. And, don't miss this, it works in the reverse. Living a life of unholiness, living a life opposed from God, will reduce our understanding of the things of God. And the less we know of God, the more we live apart from God. There's a relationship between knowledge and lifestyle. The more we seek to know the Lord the more we'll know of him. The more we know of him, the more we'll seek to live for him. The more we seek to live for him, there's this relationship. We cannot separate, and I know we dealt with this in Titus so much that it, it feels like we're beating a dead horse, but we cannot separate knowledge from action. The New Testament does not allow that in any sense. We know God in order to live for him. We live for him in order to know him, and those are always meant to work together. Okay, let's take a half time here. And turning your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. I want you to take those verses that we just talked about in Colossians. God rescues, the church prays, God fills, the Christian produces. 
that pattern that God wants to work in our lives, we find paralleled in Ephesians chapter five. And we're just gonna read through these verses together because I want to see you to see the connections. Uh, Michael Bird, who's a, sounds like a, uh, the greatest NBA combination of names imaginable, Michael Bird. Like, if you could combine those two, you've got the greatest NBA player of all time. Michael Bird is actually a well-known uh, New Testament theologian from Australia. And uh, Michael Bird says that Colossians is like reading a book if Galatians and Ephesians had a baby, it would be Colossians. <laughs> um, so if you want to understand Colossians, you read Galatians and Ephesians and the baby is Colossians. It comes out of that. But when you read Colossians and Ephesians, you see a lot of parallels. Look at these verses in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I mean, do you already feel, you can feel Colossians 1 at, at work here. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's what I wanted you to see in Colossians and Ephesians. That God calls us to look up to him in Christ. That we count Christ as superior and sufficient. He's worthy of our worship. If that is true, if those things about Jesus Christ are true, it should make an impact in the way that I live. Because I no longer live in darkness, I live in light. It should make an impact in the way that I live. What I do up, what I focus my heart and my mind and my eyes on should transform me on the inside, from the inside out. Now I want us to walk back through those four points and get really practical about what does this look like in our lives. Number one, we have to have a gospel foundation for the ways that we live our life. This is the connection between up, worship, counting Jesus as superior and sufficient, and out, what we're gonna talk about next week, living out that faith, sharing it, it spreads, it goes to places. This inward transformation is what happens right at the core of it. When we talk about our growth as a Christian, that is never disconnected from your story of salvation. We have to go back over and over and over again to remembering how good God is in saving us out of darkness, out of sin, out of death, going back to that rescue. And in our groups and in our church, we need to know those stories. My fear for us as a church family 
is that we would lose sight of how incredible it is that God rescues people out of sin and death. And if we ever lose sight of that, do you know what we're left doing? We're left playing church, and we're left competing with other churches to see who can share the most people. Oh, God, rescue us out of that, you know, approach to life and church in the 21st century. If we ever lose sight of what it means for God to rescue people, then we find ourselves going off in an entirely different direction. Here's what I would encourage you to do. This week, I know this is just kind of like straightforward. This week, learn the story of God's rescue in somebody else's life here at Amazus. So to use churchy words, here's somebody else's testimony this week. Somebody who's a part of your Sunday school group, somebody who's at Falls Creek with you, somebody who lives in your neighborhood, make it your goal that this week you will learn from someone else the story, the work that God did to rescue them out of sin and death. And if you like churchy words, say, hey, will you tell me your testimony? Will you share with me? In our groups, in our Sunday school classes, in all that we do, make sure you're sharing these stories with one another. If you can look around your small group and you don't know the story of God's rescue in that person's life, you're missing out on the depth of what it means to be connected to one another in the body of Christ. Because I'm so concerned that if we don't share those stories, if we lose sight of that, then we're never gonna be a church committed to growing evangelistically. It's always gonna be about just moving from one place to another. We've gotta make the gospel the foundation of what we do. Number two, this idea of prayer. And specifically, what Paul prayed here, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and understanding. Here's my encouragement to you on prayer. If God answered your prayers that you prayed this last week, would it make any sort of eternal, lasting impact in somebody's life? Because my concern about my own prayer life Am I concerned about a lot of our prayer lists? I don't mean to sound like Scrooge. I feel like I'm coming across too negative here, so I'll try to back off, but I don't mean to be Scrooge here. But my concern is most of our prayer lists, the only goal is to get that person feeling better. Um, As one older minister said, we spend most of our time trying to keep Christians out of heaven when we pray. Why are our prayer lists look that way? Why are we praying that this person would feel better Pray prayers like Paul prayed. God, fill that person with a knowledge of your will so that they would live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. So I encourage you, look at your Sunday school prayer list. Look at your small group prayer list. Look at your personal prayer list and ask yourself, what am I really praying for? What if someone looked at this list, if they looked at what we talk about in our prayer life, what would that say about our goal, about our desire for that person's life? Would it be that they just feel better? Or are we really praying that God would transform that person from the inside out? None of us, none of us is going to be able to advance in our relationship with God apart from the prayers of others. We need that, we have to have that. Number three is this idea of being filled with the knowledge of God. Are we committed to knowing the things of God? Are we committed to living in such a way that we're constantly filled with the knowledge? We didn't learn everything we needed to learn in kindergarten. I know that was like a name of a popular book for a little while, but it's just not true. Wait, we are constantly growing. The Christian progress is not always steady. 
It's not always a straight line, but it's always moving forward. It's always moving in a direction that we're seeking to know more of God. And then finally, that we would take action, that we would produce, that there would be fruit in our lives, that we're working as a small group, that we're working as a Sunday school class, and we're saying not just how much can we know, but as a result of what we know, are we taking action? In your group, try to hold each other accountable to this. I know that feels weird in, in a small group sometime, but have an action plan and say, as a class, we want to move in this direction. I want to, as a result of knowing the things of God, what impact should that be having in my life right now? If you take this pattern right here, it can guide your personal time with God and it can guide your small group Sunday school time. In our group, do we celebrate the gospel? Do we pray prayers that have spiritual depth and purpose to them? Do we pray together as a group? Do we seek to be filled with the knowledge of God? And do we take action based on what we've learned? I know that seems so simple, but if we will go that direction, we'll find that as we worship God, he transforms us from the inside out. I want you to know that in a couple of weeks, uh, Jeff Hempel, who many of you know, he's been our college and singles minister uh, for several years. He's moving into a new position here at Emmaus, a full-time position as director of discipleship ministries. Jeff's goal is going to be to help us do exactly what we've talked about here. Do we celebrate the gospel in our groups? Do we pray together? Are we filled with the knowledge of God? And are we living lives that show the result of that? If you're not a part of a group, but you say, you know what, I need that. I need other people around me who are gonna support and encourage me. Jeff's gonna be a part of helping you find that connection. If you look at your own group and you say, you know what, we're not there. We need to take strides in that direction. Jeff's gonna be there to help you in that process. What I want you to hear more than anything as we get ready to wrap up, is that when we look to Jesus, when we understand what it is to worship him, that's not something that happens once a week, that's not hap something that happens once in our lifetime. When we do that, it begins to transform us from the inside out. Would you bow your heads with me as we get ready to wrap up here in a minute? Here in just a minute after we pray, we're gonna take up the offering and watch the Vacation Bible School video while that offering's happening. And then after the offering, we're gonna present some, a family to you for membership here at our church. But before we do that and head out on our week, why don't you just walk back through those points with me. First, do you know what it is for God to rescue you from sin and death and to transfer you into the kingdom of his son? Do you know what it is to celebrate that in your life? And if you don't, but you want to begin to take steps in that direction, you want to know what it is to give your life to the Lord, you just want to ask more questions about Christianity on that card in front of you in the seat back, there's a way you can just check down. I want to know more about faith. I stay up here at the front after the service. We want to talk to you about that. But do you have that gospel, good news, rescue foundation in your life? And who are you going to go to this week and learn their story? 
kids, you guys have done a great job listening this morning. You're going to get to watch the Big Asian Bible School video, but kids, listen to me as you're praying to God right now. Do you know the story about how your parents became followers of Jesus? Do you know the story about how God rescued them or your grandparents? Go and ask them this week what that is like. Go and ask them to tell you that story. Think about your prayer life. Think about the things, the people you're praying for. Are you praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that they would live lives worthy of God? Are you praying for eternal purposes, for gospel fruit? May God call us together to pray for one another. As we support and care for one another. Are you being filled with the knowledge of God's will? Are you taking in God's word throughout the week? Are you sitting before him? And then are you not just a hearer of the word, but you're a doer of the word? For God, I want to know you, not just so my head will be filled up with knowledge, but so that as a result of that, my life will be transformed so that other people will be drawn to you. God, when we see how good you are, when we see what you've done in and through us because of Christ, Father, we want every area of our life, every moment of our life to be given completely to you. If Christ is Lord over all creation, then he has to be Lord over every area of our lives and over every member of this church. And God, may that be true. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.